What's going on, coaches? Uh, hopefully you guys had an unbelievable uh, Christmas with your family. New Year's coming up as well. Hopefully you guys are going to enjoy that. Uh, we got to go down to Dallas, see my mom, see my grandparents, and then uh, going to be back here in Oklahoma doing some things, uh, getting ready for um, New Year's Eve. So hopefully you guys are enjoying that. If you need anything from us, uh, go visit runthepower.com. Hopefully get everything up there for you guys, videos, podcasts, merchandise, anything like that. And then uh, here in the next few weeks, we'll start hitting new recordings and, and getting this thing rolling again for a new year. So again, need anything from us, runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Legend Rings. As coaches, we all know the best way to represent our big win is with the championship ring. And the team at Legend Rings wants to help you celebrate your regional and state championship title this season. Their goal is to make your championship ring purchase simple, easy, and affordable from design to delivery. Check them out at legendrings.com or email info at legendrings.com to get started. Let them know that Run the Power sent you, and they will make your ring for free. Again, go check them out at legendrings.com. This episode of the RTP podcast is brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us. If you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all, we obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, and formations, so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait, go do it today. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at teambuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at teambuilder.com, which is teambuilder.com. On this episode of RTP brought to you by Legend Rings, we talk with Andrew Workman. Coach Workman is the special teams coordinator and assistant offensive line coach at Huntington High School in West Virginia and was previously, when we talked to him, the tight ends fullbacks coach for West Virginia State. Listen as we talk with Coach Workman about his time in the Marine Corps and how it has helped him in his coaching career. We also discuss some ways to get fullbacks and tight ends more involved in your offense. You can follow Coach Workman on Twitter at Coach A. Workman. Hope you guys enjoy. foremost i just want to say thank you for having me on this is a great opportunity i appreciate it um but uh, i am coach andrew workman uh coach our fingers here at west virginia state university that's our tight ends and pullback uh my journey to coaching is really uh non-typical <laughs> to say the least um you know I, i'm originally from a you know small coal t coal mining town in uh, southern west virginia chapmanville uh, Chapmanville, West Virginia, and uh, really, you know, growing up, it was uh, it was all about football and baseball there. You know, our basketball team was, you know, all right now. But, I mean, they were on their way to winning their third straight state championship, but whenever I was in school, that wasn't the case. They were still building their culture. Um, so, growing up, football, football. I, now, I, being, you know, who I was, I, I was kind of on the video game track there for a while, and then, uh, I moved in with my father, you know, started getting more active. You know, the, the love for football started really, you know, to implant itself. And, I, you know, I started going to more camps, you know, talking with more of the guys I knew that played. And, uh, you know, finally my freshman year of high school, I went out 
to say the least, I was not very good. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I, I didn't really get much varsity time until I was a senior. And, uh, you know, I was a track guy. I started running track, and uh, I was really good at it because I was fast to everybody around me. Um, but, you know, I, I played receiver and corner. Uh, wasn't great at catching the football, but, uh, man, I love the Chapmanville Tigers. So, uh, you know, I gave everything I had every play. The coaches noticed it. They noticed I was also, you know, pretty athletic. They gave me a couple shots. I was okay, but, you know, nothing special. But I love the team, and it did great things for me. And, you know, uh, it holds a special place in my heart, you know. Uh, so, you know, nothing special my senior year. Had no real offers for football. Had a couple, you know, offers for track and field. Ultimately, it, it, it came down to this. About a week before I was going to go on my official, my last official visit for track and field, I got a, a call from this this guy, you know, uh, he sounded very confident on the phone. He's like, Hey, uh, is this Andrew Workman? I said, yeah, yeah, that's me. He's like, well, uh, I'm Sergeant Farrell. Uh, you know, I'm a Marine Corps recruiter. I was wondering if it was okay if I came to school tomorrow and talked to you. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to go to the Marine Corps. So I'll talk to this guy tomorrow. <laughs> uh, a couple months later, here I am ready to ship off to Paris Island, South Carolina. So, uh, that was, uh, <laughs> The oldest best, trick in worst. the book. Yeah, they got me. <laughs> they got me, Coach. Uh, but uh, it was the best, worst experience of my life. Um, honest to God, I don't know where I would be right now without the Marine Corps. I, I, I do not know because I know deep down in my heart if I would have went to college uh, right out of high school, like, unfortunately, like many of the people from my area, I, prob I probably wouldn't have made it. Um, I probably would have ended up dropping out. To be honest with you, I, was, I had no discipline. I had, uh, you know, other than the discipline I learned in football, you know, classroom, I, I did okay, but I, I did the bare minimum, you know. Uh, I had decent grades. There's nothing special in the, you know, the classroom, but, you know, the Marine Corps molded me and changed me, and uh, it was all for the better. So Paris Island, here I come, you know, get down there, go through the whole uh, – initiation process, you know, uh, and uh, meet my senior drill instructor. You know, I was in a company, you know, squad bay with 110 other guys. That was, uh, whew, that was fun, um, <laughs> it was, to say the least. That was, uh, it, it, was fun, it was fun in a very sadistic way, but it was fun. Uh, a lot of physical activity, <laughs> to say the least. I went into the Marine Corps weighing um, 155 pounds, if even. I came out weighing 185 pounds uh, four years later. Jeez. Um, yeah. So not much more weight put on, but, you know, it was uh, – it, it did a lot for me. Uh, I got out of basic training. Uh, I was a radio operator. Um, I didn't know I was going to be a radio operator until the day that I left because I would actually signed on for a different job in security forces. And, uh, um, you know, that uh, communications was my second choice. So, you know, when the security forces job wasn't available anymore, my recruiter hooked me up with the communications job and I, mm -hmm. I loved it. I know, um, you know, I hadn't, I knew nothing about wires. I knew nothing about telecommunications, you know, uh, multiplex, duplex, you know, anything like that, radio waves, propagation. I didn't know anything about that. Now I think it's, you know, it's like ABCs, but, uh, got out of basic, went to, uh, combat training down in uh, Camp Geiger, North Carolina, was there during one of the coldest seasons they've ever had. We actually got, uh, oh. <laughs> we actually got snowed in and they, they had to uh, uh, tank. They had to get in these tracked vehicles, uh, we call them AAVs, um, to bring us our MREs out to this camp for our combat training. The whole base had shut down. Nobody was working. It was ice everywhere, you know, in the south. It, it, you know oh yeah everything it, shuts it, down it gets, you, you yeah, get an inch yeah, it shuts down oh yeah but not, it was uh, not built for it no no not at all and i you know me being from west virginia i'm from a valley it snows we we get into a little <laughs> drive and we just go so uh you know it was uh it, to say the least it, it was very cold and uh the heat broke in the little squad bay we were we were work well i don't know if it broke or they just turned it off be honest with you but uh we uh we were sitting out there in negative five degree weather for about five straight days training that was fun 
uh, and the snow on the ice. Then uh, after I left there, I went to a, a beautiful, beautiful place out in California called 29 Palms. That was sarcasm. It's a desert. It is nothing but a wasteland. And uh, that's where I did my communication training. And I was there for about three months, got out, finally went to my unit, uh, went to an artillery unit, uh, kilo battery at the time, 310. And then it switched over to a 110. And that's just the battalion and the, uh, the regiment. Uh, 1st Battalion, 10th Marines, Kilo Battery. Uh, and I learned a lot there very quick. Um, uh, baptism under fire. Uh, learned a lot very quick, <laughs> just to stress that point. And uh, we, uh, we deployed about uh, five months after I got to them. We, you know, we spent a lot of time in the field and artillery, uh, sleeping under the stars in our, um, in our vehicles. But it was... Uh, you know, I bet I met some of the best people I've ever met in the Marine Corps uh, from after uh, after we got back from that deployment, which was more or less a practice deployment to Japan. We uh, we uh, we got back. I went on leave. I'd actually uh, volunteered for a couple more deployments right before I went on leave, you know, that were happening later on because, you know, the Marine Corps is different. We want to deploy there. I don't want to get too moto on it, but it's just, you know we're there to serve our country and that's what we want to do. You know, I, I was no different. I was very motivated to get, you know, to deploy, to go out there, see new places. Um, and I was up for a deployment while I was home. My grandfather got in an accident and I had to stay an extra, you know, two weeks until he healed. And he was, he was very bad off. Um, unfortunately I didn't get to go on, uh, the deployment I thought I was going to go on, but, uh, Got back about a week after I got up, got back. My staff sergeant, uh, and staff sergeant Grogan, he, he came up to me. He was like, uh, workman, we got this, uh, this deployment going over to the, the Black Sea Rotational Force. You know, it's kind of like a uh, special purpose, you know, deployment. Uh, would you be interested in doing that? Yes. Yes. And, uh, yes. So from there, I, I chopped over to an infantry unit, Victor 18, uh, Charlie, uh, company. And from Charlie Company, I went over to Weapons Company, and I worked a lot with uh, mortars, heavy machine guns, uh, what they call cap platoons. Uh, it was it was very interesting. I learned a lot. Uh, had a had a machine gun team when I was with uh, Kilo Battery, but you know I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. So, you know, after my second deployment, you know my uh, my family, you know they were very very weary. They didn't want to see me go anymore. So I kind of, I didn't, you know, I laid low. I said, if it happens, it happens. If not, I'm not going to push it. Uh, laid low, you know, I picked up the rank of sergeant, uh, my third year in, you know, had about 30 guys underneath me, um, uh, trained them, uh, very well, trained them very well, very often, very well. <laughs> so, uh, very often and very well. And, uh, they had very clean rooms. But uh, it, it was it was great. Um, I was finally, you know, seeing, you know, the burden of, you know, leader, leadership. I, you know, as a junior Marine, I didn't understand that, you know, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. You know, the sergeant is by no means a general, but in the Marine Corps, it, it's the backbone. I mean, that's uh, that's your, your main NCO. That's your guy that's running stuff, you know, in in the field. Um, you know, I, I kind of went in expecting it to be hard, but I had always had somewhat of a leadership position, uh, even as a, you know, a younger Marine. And I, I kind of stepped into it. Uh, I loved it. And uh, I learned a lot more than I knew. <laughs> so I thought I knew some stuff. Again, here it comes. And I thought I knew some stuff, learned a whole lot more very fast, uh, about three weeks in. Well, anyway, uh, the end of my uh, enlistment was coming up. And I talked to my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. Uh, I was like, listen, they're offering, you know, for me to re-enlist, you know, they'll let me pick where I want, where I go next, or they'll let me pick where I want to go next, you know, uh, and uh, she's like, listen, uh, I think it's about time. I, I know you, uh, you love football, and uh, I know that uh, <laughs> it, she, she basically said, it, it's time to go, <laughs> it's time to get out, and uh, I knew, that I, I knew that she was, she was the one. I ended up uh, proposing to her later that year uh, on Christmas Eve with my at my family's house, and uh, she said, "Yeah, I don't know why, but she did." 
she is definitely my better half. That's for sure. She keeps uh, she keeps me motivated. Um, that way she can live out her dream of uh, staying at home instead of going to work every day. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, got out. You know, uh, I'd always kept in contact with my high school coach. Um, and he knew I had a, uh, had a drive to coach football, had a drive and a love for the game. And he suggested a book, a couple books to me. Uh, he knew I liked, uh, he knew I liked the run game. Uh, we had talked about it a couple of times. And I, you know, I didn't know what I was talking about at the time, but, uh, he suggested a book to me by a man named, uh, Tony DeMeo, coach at the time for University of Charleston here in West Virginia. And he is a triple option guy. So my whole, you know, learning football was through the eyes of the triple option. You know, the next book that I read was by a guy, <laughs> by a guy you guys might know named, uh, Rick Trickett about coaching offensive line. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I learned that he was a Marine and I was like, well, you know, if he can do this, why not me? Why not me? And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's something that really, you know, it struck me and I, I knew I wanted to coach. So I kept in touch with my high school coach and, uh, you know, enlistments coming up. Finally, I get done. I'm back home. I'm not doing anything. Uh, you know, the day after I get back home and I know I'm not doing anything, I just drive by the field house back in town and, uh, you know, say hi to the coaching staff. Coach Rob Dial, you know, he, he, he brought me aside, talked to me. He's like, uh, so what are you up to? And I said, well, coach, not, not a whole lot. Um, you know, if you guys have any, you need any help with anything at all, let me know. He's like, well, uh, well how about you come by Monday and we get started? I started what? He's like, coaching football. I'm like, uh, yeah, that, yes, sir. Thank you. So uh, I started coaching football a week after I got out of the Marine Corps. I'm on my uh, fourth year coaching now. I started coaching at Chapmanville, my alma mater, where I played uh, for Coach Rob Dial. Uh, I didn't know exactly what I would be doing until I got there Monday. I was over the scout teams, and then I got to actually call plays for the JV, you know, starting off. He kind of uh, gave me training wheels there that first week, and then he, he taught me a lot, him and at the time, offensive coordinator, now head coach, James Barker. I mean, they taught me a lot, you know, in that first, you know, very early stages of my coaching career. And, uh, you know, we, we ran a lot of power. We ran a lot of power. We ran a lot of dive. Didn't do a lot else. <laughs> so uh, I, I told him, you know, for a changeup, our major adjustment was, hey, instead of handing the ball off, keep it and run right behind the guy blew his mind blew my little 14 year old quarterback's mind but we gained yards on it every single time i told him to do it <laughs> little q follow uh, baby there we go there we go that's all it was too that's all it was and we knew when we were going to do it so the fullback you know I, I he gave a little fake but then he knew he was lead block and so as soon as he was through that first level he'd, he'd work up to that uh play side backer but uh season ended we had a winning season unfortunately didn't make the west virginia playoffs uh and, you know, the off season's coming. I'm now working at a pawn shop <laughs> selling, uh, you know, pawns, selling guns. It, it was fun, but um, I was also in school at a community college. I didn't really know where to go from there. Uh, after the season ended, you know, I was, I was planning on being at the community college a second year, coaching, you know, at Chapmanville a second year. We went to a Glacier Clinic up in Cincinnati, and I, uh, unbelievable. Uh, it was unbelievable for me. and. Uh, you know, I, uh, I just, it was unbelievable. It changed my whole perspective on things. I, I got to listen to, you know, college coaches. And coaching at any level in college never crossed my mind. You know, I, I never thought I would be, you know, where I am today. Uh, I'm very blessed. I'm very blessed. Um, so after the Glacier Clinic, my wife got offered a job in downtown Charleston here, which is the capital. We're about – West Virginia State's about 10 minutes outside of Charleston. And uh, I knew I would have to move towards the area. So I'm talking with Coach Dial. I'm, I'm saying, you know, Coach, I'm going to have to move. He's like, I completely understand, and I'm going to, you know, help you all I can. So, you know, a couple weeks go by, and then he, he, he just asked me plainly, have you ever thought about, you know, going help out for a college team, you know, being a student assistant, you know, just getting your foot in the door? And, you know, it, it never crossed my mind. 
not once until he brought it up to me. And I said, no, you know what, coach? Uh, now that you mention it, why not me? Why not? Why not now? So about a week later, you know, I've got my resume that I had built and I, I, I'm good to go. I got a resume, got some references. Uh, so I, I show up about 7.30 here in Institute to uh, West Virginia State University. You know, I, one of my old teammates that actually played here for uh, Coach Pennington when he, his first year head coaching, and that was uh, the year uh, that I was coaching for Chapmanville. And they had their first winning season in over a decade. Um, because when I was in school, West Virginia State didn't have many winning seasons. Uh, Coach Pennington came in and immediately turned that around, immediately. And I, I kind of, you know, heard him speak on the television. I'd heard him speak, you know, and then I started asking my friend about him who played for him. And he just Some of the things that he started saying, you know, it reminded me of very Marine Corps, very uh, military-oriented stuff being taught, you know, things about culture, things about, you know, uh, being tough, being connected, being, you know, one team, you know, one moment at a time. Every day is different. We got to, you know, so I go in, you know, I didn't tell anybody I was coming, by the way. That was, uh, <laughs> I didn't tell anybody I was coming. They were in a staff meeting. I sat out in our little lobby for about uh, an hour, probably. Finally, the staff meeting ended. Everybody walked out. They just looked at me like, who is this guy sitting here? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I just introduced myself to one coach after another, not knowing who many of them were. You know, I'd done my research, but, you know, it, being there in person is a little different. And, and I wasn't starstruck. I was just, you know, ready to see what I could do for the team. And um, finally made it my way to Coach Pennington, shook his hand. You know, he was really – he was very happy that I came and I was uh, asking, you know, to help out. And luckily, you know, uh, stars aligned uh, and God blessed me. They had just got out of a meeting, he told me, about saying that they needed more help with on defense you know student assistant manager anything like that type so the very uh, you know I was thinking you know he'd bring me in in August you know right before the season I, and I was getting married in May and at the time it was February so I'm like well coach when do you want me to come in and get started he said, can you start next week I said, yeah <laughs> absolutely so that's how I got to West Virginia State but you know how did I get to where I am now I, I started on defense Mind you, I knew very, very little about defense other than, you know, tackling is key. You know, good, great defenses win championships. Uh, pursuit is great. That's what I knew. <laughs> That's all I knew. Uh, fortunately for me, I, I got put with uh, our defensive coordinator. I was helping him out directly with the safety. Um, and oh, he is he, he's great. He's, he's, one of, he's brilliant, honestly. He's, he's like Beethoven at work whenever he gets going. He's, uh, his name's Coach George Shell, and I learned – so much about just teaching football about you know you don't need a thousand drills you just need the, the few that work what you need to work and you need to articulate what you need to articulate and everything else is going to the wayside you don't want too much you got to teach it in progression I learned so much just about you know teaching football from him and uh, you know I helped him out as much as I could I ran our scout offense <sighs> what a trip that was um we we uh we yes yeah, so we use cards we use cards and uh you know the cards say plays going right somehow you know everybody would go left that's how it usually went and then my my tone raised drastically and then we got it right so <laughs> hey or or the defense decides they want to come out in a different front for that play for whatever reason uh, he happened and you that got it all drawn happened. up and 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 then the linemen get yelled at I've been a part of that uh, as a getting yelled at person it's no fun yes sir I, um actually um coach shell would be there you know with me when I drew the card he uh he does a lot of film study and I would just sit with him in the defensive staff room and I would draw the card and he would draw some actually um he he was uh really good about that he would you know, show me what needs done in each and every card. And he would, you know, draw up example cards and or draw a card himself. So he, he knew what the plays he was going to get were, but sometimes he would want to see an adjustment, a different front. He was very good about doing that. It's a very structured practice. But there are times, yes, <laughs> the front was completely different. And uh, 
yes, it was fun. It, it was a fun, <laughs> fun, fun experience. Very fun. Um, but mind you, during all this, I am taking 15 to 18 hours of classes. And I'm here at the complex about seven days a week. Uh, I'm doing all the student assistant work at the time. And I'm painting fields. I'm, I'm helping with equipment. I'm the only person on staff with a truck. So I'm making runs. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it was fun, you know, just, just being around the atmosphere, just being around the culture. And let me tell you, the, the culture here, I understood immediately how it was such a fast turnaround. The culture here at West Virginia State was unbelievable and it continues to be driven and continues to build. Every year that I've been here, it has progressed. You're always either, you're never staying the same. You'll either go backwards or you'll go forwards. And the culture here and the team in general, we've always, it's always forward. We always have a growth mindset, 1% better at something every single day. And it's, it's beautiful to watch, honestly. Um, and so after my first season here, which was Coach Pennington's second season, that back-to-back winning seasons uh, for the first time in even longer than a decade, I think it was uh, 12, 14 years back-to-back winning seasons, and we had a lot coming back. So going into my first offseason with West Virginia State, you know, I, they, they let me recruit. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I said, okay, uh, let's do this. So I did not have my own area at the time, but I was helping out one of our coaches. Uh, he was a cornerback coach, recruit Southern West Virginia, where I was from. So I had, you know, that little coal field area, helping him out with that. And I owned it. I owned it. And it was mine. Even though it wasn't mine, it was mine. Even though, you know, the field isn't mine and it doesn't belong to the Crimson Tide, I painted it like it did. Um, so that's just that's just how I am. Now my father taught me that. I was uh, lucky to have, you know, such a great father. Taught me never, you know, never do something, uh, never do work that takes two hands with one hand. You know, you just work until you no longer have to introduce yourself. And that's how it goes. Uh, so here I am. We're in the midst of recruiting season. All of a sudden, Coach pulls me aside. He's like, have you noticed that we've got these guys, you know, we've got pullbacks. They're with the running backs right now. We've got tight ends. We don't really use them. Have you noticed that? I was like, yeah, Coach, I have from the defensive side. Okay. Um, and then from there, we just started talking more and more about how, how to start using some of the guys that we don't really have a place for, really good athletes. But we don't quite have a place on those really athletic quarterbacks, but that was kind of lower on the depth chart of quarterback. Those linebackers are super athletic, but just might be a little undersized for the linebacker, a little bit, a couple pounds. Or, you know, those those uh, those receivers who are just a little oversized. So we started talking about that just more and more and more. And, uh, you know, that's all it was, was conversations. Like, well, what if we had a position for those guys? I said, well, Giving me the old jet on mine trick, coach. He's like, yeah, I am. So he, uh, we we kept talking about it more and more. And uh, you know, I had no idea that I was about to get promoted. No idea. Uh, came to a shock from me. I didn't. I didn't know actually. Um, he had actually moved me over. Our receivers coach got a job coaching uh, up at Bowie State, Maryland, and he had moved me over just to you know kind of manage the receivers until our new, uh, new receivers coach got there. And then I was supposed to move right back to uh, defense. And he said, well, what if you stay? And he talked, you know, him and Coach Shell talked. And uh, apparently, no, I, I didn't know this till afterwards. And uh, I got promoted in, one year after I had started at West Virginia State. And that's how I got where I am now. Uh, I, like I said, very non-traditional, but uh, blessed, blessed to say the least. Um, and I love it. I love every second of it. I think it's a perfect fit for me. Uh, guys, uh, you know, fullbacks, tight ends, we use them as really an adjuster, as an H-back, or you can call it a snipper, whatever you want to call it. That's kind of how we use them. And uh, I, I love it. They're guys that, you know, they can do it all. Uh, journeyman, like our, our coach says. Um, 
and it, it just it just it fits my my personality. It fits the guys that we brought over. Understand that the guys that we brought over to play the, these positions, they they didn't really play those positions. So when I got there, we were starting from square one on building this position. We've got a new O line coach. He's our uh, uh, co OC now. Uh, uh, at the time, he was our run game coordinator. We we met every single day until I understood what was going on offensively, and I met with him every single day, you know, just to learn technique, learn you know the value of the first step, the value of you know straining through the play side armpit. Um, we're we're a zone RPO team. Uh, we'll run gap situationally. We'll run some man schemes, but we're a zone RPO team. You know, a little bit of stretch zone here, a little bit of wide zone, um, some tight zone here and there. But we, uh, I learned, I sat with him every single day, learning the ins and outs. And here comes the the first spring season. You know, the first spring I get with my guys, and uh, uh, it was a very uh, learning experience for us all. We we mm-hmm. caught on, we caught on to the assignment, but getting the technique down, and that's something that uh, I really worked on after that spring. Of, you know, finding drills, finding different ways to teach. You know how how you know to uh, in uh, intersect, you know, how to fit up a block, how to get where you're going from point A to point B, then once you get there, what to do. Um, so that's something we really worked on. Then the season came, uh, I had about six guys in my room, you know, uh, our, uh, our guy Dante, he's, uh, he actually, he was, he was great at it. He caught on, he, he was a former, he was a quarterback in high school. We, uh, recruited him as a linebacker. We moved him over to running back. And then we moved him over to Stinger. Well, he caught on very well. <laughs> he, he, was, he was about uh, – he'd been moved a lot, but he caught on very quickly just because of what we were asking him to do. And what we were asking him to do was a lot. Uh, we, we're in the box. We're, in, we're, we're, we're spread out. You know, we're at fullback. We're at wing. We're at true tight end. We're, you know, hands in the ground, ready to go. We're out wide blocking for the screen. We're running for the same routes receivers are running. Um, so, you know, he caught on to that very well. He, he ended up, uh, you know, averaging about 4.7 yards a carry, even though we only used him on short yardage, really. And as an adjustment, kind of like a misdirection, uh, he, uh, he scored eight touchdowns. Uh, he had a really great season, great, great season. I was, we were all very proud of him. First team all conference, first team all region. Uh, love that kid. But uh, we, really, we really stressed. Uh, and this is something that I've stressed since then, uh, you know, technique, technique, our technique was not very good, even though we had a good season with the ball in our hand, you know, we're involved in every play one way or the other, you know, kind of like uh, the center in a way, we don't touch the ball every single play and we don't make all those, you know, same calls the center will make, but we are involved in every play one way or the other. Uh, we kind of use a one personnel offense here. Uh, we've got our guy, he can adjust to 11 personnel. 20 personnel, 10 personnel, he can do all of it. So uh, we were, um, we really been working on that. Um, but that, that's, that's really it. That's uh, fast forward to today. That's, that's it. That's how I got here. Well, that's, that's a, um, like you said, it is a very unique story and, and a few things I jotted down as you talked and, and maybe a little bit uh, out of left field. But first thing I was, when I heard, you know, you say you were in communications. Uh, first thing I think of, is um the the headsets uh on on friday night do you, when you see the headsets uh are, are you over there critiquing the guys that are putting those together um i'm sure the guys in high school they were all like perfect you set up the headsets get it all going uh is there any is there any crossover between those two because that was my very first question when i heard it because it seems like we have a problem with them all the time oh yes oh yes um the headsets are mine and i take care of them that's how, that's how it was at chapmanville that's how it is at west virginia state i'm putting the headsets together i'm making sure every coach has their headset i'm making sure they they go and they keep going but uh you know we our headsets are very good but sometimes you know some of these bigger stadiums we got to find different ways you know to uh uniquely talk and uh some of the things you know there's so much troubleshooting goes that it actually happens behind the scenes Sometimes a headset will go down or sometimes, you know, somebody will miss a block and a very specific headset will go down. You guys know how it is. And, uh, <laughs> That's and, right. you know, got to rush, got to rush to go get it fixed and it gets fixed, whether it's then and there or whether it is, uh, you know, at halftime. Now I'm up in the booth and um, 
our booth. We can, you know, we can run down pretty quick to our sideline, but uh, it's, it's still a pretty good hike. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I'm sprinting. I'm up in the booth, you know, telling what I see in the box, and then I stop hearing our O-line coach, and I, I know, you know, somebody missed the block or uh, <laughs> somebody took the wrong first step. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it translated very well. Um, I took ownership of it, and uh, I love – Love, love working with the headsets just because it it reminds me of the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That was the first thing that that it made me think of. Um, so, so my other big question is, and, and I think that you're seeing this a lot or hearing it a lot from coaches as there for a while. It was when you set up workouts and and your whole program. I think there was a lot of guys that wanted to set it up very. Uh, I don't know if this is a word militaristically um, mm-hmm. and. And a lot of, you know, set up much like, obviously, way watered down, but to like a boot camp, or they would even call it a boot camp uh, at, at football. Um, and, and that's the way people were training for a while. Now it's kind of gotten to a part where there's a bunch of coaches coming out and saying uh, that it shouldn't be maybe ran that way in football. It should be um, a, you know, more specific to making kids really explosive Um not breaking down their bodies at times, but keeping them very fresh. And, and, you know, that's kind of been the a thing coming up now. Do you have any thoughts on that one way or the other with training with, uh, you know, like you said, the thing that was so beneficial for you, um, you know, joining the Marines was, I believe you said the structure and, and um, you know, all of the things that you got out of that, but is it, is that a, an important part of football um, or is it, in your mind, more training for the explosive parts of being a, a good football player? I don't know if that's a good question, but I know where I'm thinking. Yeah, I understand you, Coach. Uh, first and foremost, it, it has to have structure. That being said, it has to be a structure that guys want to be a part of. You have to build an environment in that weight room where guys want to come in, they enjoy being in there, and they want to come back. You know, there's a time and place. We have a uh, – there's a time and place for the, the kind of militarized workouts, you know, the really, you know, make them fail so they can learn from it and become better for it, from it. There, there's a time and place for that. We do that once a year. We call it our tour of duty. They were doing that before I got here. Um, they, uh, we, once a week in the winter, we'll wake them up, you know, one week before spring break, and we'll uh, work them out at 5 o'clock in the morning. And uh, it, it's a very interesting ordeal. But, you know, they're, 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 they think they're prepared for it, and they get hit with it. Very unenjoyable, but it's basically, you know, it's to show them they can overcome whatever we throw at them. They can overcome anything on Saturday. Uh, that's that. That's the time and place for that, we believe, you know, because we're still trying to build the toughest, most connected team in the nation. We think we are the toughest, most connected team in the nation. And, uh, you know, the fire, you know, it molds, and, uh, it forges people together. That's why I love football so much. It's like a, it's like a forge. I mean, you got all these, these raw pieces of metal. You're going to put them together now. You're going to beat on them with a hammer, put them in the fire. You know, pull them out. They think they're done. No, hit with a hammer back in the fire. Then they start coming together. And once they're together, take them out. You sharpen them. You, you know, fine tune them. And now they're a beautiful, deadly weapon. I love football because you know it's, it's. I think it's a beautiful art form for that. But to specifically answer your question, I think it has to be. You know, we have our strength and conditioning coordinator in the off season. Uh, he he really put together a great great program, and we really focused on hip explosion this off season. Uh, and he, he created that environment that guys, they wanted to be in there. They begged to be in there. They, you know, they, they wanted extra work just so they could come to the complex and get in the weight room, you know, be around him and learn from him. And it, it, it was awesome. It, it was awesome. And that's just something they, they took ownership of wanting to, you know, have more voluntary workouts. We said, you know what, as long as it's within this time to that time, get with coach, he'll hook you up. And they, we could, it was hard to keep them out, to be honest with you. Um, he did a great job with that. So we, uh, we really, like I said, focused on hip explosion. We didn't really, you know, go in there and, you know, hard charging, you know, screaming at every other word. You know, it's just we went in there, we coached them up. They took coaching very well. We had a lot of gains this offseason, maybe more than, you know, some of the other offseasons. And it, it, was, it was great. It was great to watch them, you know, connect and have fun while working hard. And they worked super hard super hard those guys you know we had three sessions we had a, a morning and afternoon you know uh, later afternoon not necessarily evening and they worked hard so 
I, th I think there's a time and place for that, you know, the hardcore militarized uh, training session. But I think for the most part, you have to structure it for a way that guys want to be in there each and every day and get better and be coachable. Coach, you, you know, obviously went into, you know, communication and we've, we've been lucky enough to have a, a couple of, you know, former military guys that have come on and they talk about that importance of, you know, communication, obviously the equipment, if I can't communicate with my team, you know, the satellites down or my comms are down, whatever it mm -hmm. might be, that's going to be a problem. But he also talked a lot about, you know, how you communicate, you know, and, and being able to, to, you know, say, say things that are very, very clear. You're not yelling at people. It's, it's very, very calm and, and, and an interesting communication style. I know he'd even said, you know, the way some coaches talk on the headsets, you know, if you talk like that in the military, you wouldn't be around very long. You know, you're, you're crazy right. and causing chaos, but you know, how have some of maybe those lessons that you've learned, you know, helped you. And again, you know, you talked about that burden of leadership. How did, you know, your communication, your courses, the, the way that you speak, the language, you know, understanding all those things, you know, how do you feel that's kind of helped you as now a leader of a position group and, and as a football coach? Uh, well, I think it was, you know, it was key. Uh, communication is key. That's what we always say. Uh, there's no comms. There's no bombs. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> to be honest with you, it, it's super important. And uh, I think, you know, the main thing I learned, you have on the headsets or on, on the hooks, whatever it is, you've got to articulate and you've got to articulate in a calm manner. It doesn't matter if, you know, all hell's breaking loose on the other side. Uh, you have to articulate it in a calm, clear manner. If everybody doesn't understand the uh, the intent of the commander clearly or the head coach clearly or the coordinator clearly, then it's not going to be executed. If, uh, if the guys on the field don't understand what's coming down from the box, how can they make adjustments? So it's very, it's very important not to get caught up in the moment, to stay kind of tactful, you know, on the headset. You have to make sure you articulate very clearly what's going on. And in, in the position room, you know, it's the same thing. My guys know, hey, we, we kind of got a three-strike rule, and that's consistent. I'm going to tell you something once. I, under, I, I kind of expect you to fail it. I'm not going to get too upset the first time. You know, I'm going to bring you aside, you know, let you know, hey, this is what you messed up. This is how you can correct it. You know, go out there and get it done. Okay, next thing, you know, if they mess up again, you know, maybe a little bit more stir, all right? They mess up the third time. Mm, yeah. Yeah, they know it's gonna about it's about to get loud, but never insulting. You never want to, you know, you never want to uh, demean the person you're trying to teach. If they lose that respect for you, then you you won't teach them a, a single thing. So you have to make sure they know what's going on. They know what you want from them clearly, you know, and they know how to do that thing. They got to know where to go, how to get there, and what to do when they get there. So it's very important not to uh, just go straight for the, the screaming, straight to the, you know, the cussing and the scorping and all that. So I like that point a lot. You know, I think, you know, you talk about, you know, obviously not demeaning, but when you have kids, you know, almost like making it like a question, like, you know, they make that second, that second mistake, like you're talking about the second strike. And, it, mm -hmm. and I've, I've learned it too. You know, it's like, man, Hey, we've gone over it. Well, I'm like, I, I now I ask the kid, it's like, Hey, am I explaining this well enough? Am I, am I teaching this well enough? You know, what part of it are you not understanding? Where is the breakdown in communication or where is the breakdown in learning? And I think it, it kind of keeps that mutual respect. But then if the, if the kid comes back, he's like, no, no, coach, you know, you're explaining it great. I understand it. I make the mistake. I mean, well, now it kind of becomes that ownership deal, which is what we want anyway. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's huge, especially when you can get to that, that point instead of just, yelling at them, demeaning them, making them feel bad, you know, replaying it on film. Now it really becomes that learning situation. Right. And with film and in our meetings, you know, I, not only do I expect them to, you know, kind of mess up on the first time, I expect myself. If you expect failure, it won't surprise you and you'll know how to adjust to it. I expect myself to miss things. I, I expect it that way, you know, I, for, you know, we have a mandatory three question rule. Everybody's got to come to the room, have three questions ready, you know, and during the course of that meeting, come up with three questions about, you know, the meeting itself. Did their initial questions get answered? And then ask the new ones. They, they mandatory have to have three questions ready to ask me and, I'll, and then I'll answer them. I'll let them know, you know, if you've got that question, I guarantee someone else has got it. 
let's get it answered. I love that. Um, you know, I think one of the other things that you you normally hear from from guys that have been, at least we've talked to football coaches that have been, uh, had military background, a lot of times they talk very heavily on giving, whether it's their the people underneath them or their or their um, their football players, giving them ownership in what they're doing. Um, you, you know, it, it's big. And, and it's been my big thing this offseason because we've had three months where we're sitting here getting paid to do nothing uh, as high school coaches. Uh, my big thing has been trying to figure out how do I give my offensive linemen ownership, right? And, and I read these books and, and a lot of times, uh, you know, read these mil- some military books and they talk about – you know, you've got one guy that gives the brief on how we're getting there, and it's not the one, you know, it's not one person telling everyone what we're doing. They're having different people come up and talk about different parts of the mission or whatever it is. And so, you know, it, it's been kind of my offseason point to try to figure out how do I do that in the offensive line line room. I'm curious, how do you give ownership to, you know, your stinger backs or, or in, your, in your groups, in your positions? Because uh, obviously it's like, we can't. I can't give them the ownership and say, "How do you guys think we should block power this week?" Because it's not in their <laughs> range of of uh, ability. But I want to give them some ownership to feel like they are bought in or that they are a part of it, not just being told what to do. Curious, how do you go about doing that with your position group? Right. Well, the the first thing is uh, they know I don't expect anything from them. I have standards, and I demand that they meet them. That being said, I come up with the standards with them. If they have a say in the standards, if they if the standards come from them and not me, now they're like, hey, you're not meeting the standard. That's that's our standard. It's not his standard. It's our standard. You're gonna meet our standard. Period. Uh, so having them, you know, come up with help you come up with the core values or help me come up with the uh, the standards of you know our room and not expectations, but you know standards. This is how we're gonna play. You know, if we see a piece of trash, we're gonna pick it up. We're going to take ownership in our field. That's our field, okay? Um, if we see equipment lying around, we're going to pick it up. That They come up with that. Uh, and when they come up with stuff like that, it, it, it's met, all right? Those standards are met. They, uh, they, they, love, you know, they love to uh, coach each other as much as I love to coach them. And uh, they never coach in a negative way. Um, I love it. I love watching it. They, uh, they just, you know, take ownership of each other, of the position room. and uh, you know, they, they, they grind. And another way that we really, you know, teach ownership here is uh, we call it servant leadership. And I, uh, it, it's kind of a common term, but we, we really preach it as part of our, part of our core values, you know, leadership, you know, serving others, uh, you know, uh, seniors, you know, you serve those juniors, juniors, you serve those sophomores, sophomore, you serve those freshmen, freshmen, you serve all the support personnel, you know, and uh, it goes up all the way up to the head coach, you know, serving the coordinators, coordinators, position coach, position coaches, GAs, and all, uh, so on and so forth. It, it, it servant leadership, really, it, it opens up ownership. And not only that, I'll have one of my guys, you know, help, you know, run a meeting every now and then. That's kind of a common thing. But whenever they have to sit up in front of their peers and they have to, you know, teach, it helps them learn tremendously. Mm-hmm. And whenever they're teaching and it is their room, they take so much ownership in it that it, it, it's it's awesome to watch. Really, it is awesome to watch. Well, Coach, you know, I, I had four different offensive line coaches in college, uh, but my favorite one, guy I probably learned from the most, was uh, he was a you know Marine recon, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but I think, and I don't want to paint with too broad of a of a stroke because you know who knows. But it seemed like the part that I really liked about him was he probably got after us more than anybody ever did. Um, he made some, you know, probably some crude jokes uh, that, that normally wouldn't, other people wouldn't find funny, but it was, you know, nothing bad, but it was just different, a different type of humor. But the, even though he was that side of it, probably the only coach that I felt like really truly cared about us as people uh, in college football, which is really, really easy for guys to get caught up, you know, coaches for sure get caught up in the next job or, um, you know, the money, what's going, tons of different things. Um, and, and he was a guy that, sh- you know, shot us straight all the time. Uh, we, we had some kind of slimy coaches that would tell you one thing and then go to another kid and tell him another thing. It was all out in the open. He was honest, straight, was really hard on you, but actually felt like 
he cared, um, you know, about us. And, and I don't know for sure that that was because he had gone through what he had gone through in the military, but I had kind of always attributed part of him being that way uh, to that. And so um, I, I don't know. He, like I said, he was my favorite coach for that reason. And I've got to assume uh, a lot of the ways he handled us uh, was, you know, learned when he was in the Marines. Mm-hmm. I mean, it comes down to that. You, these guys got to know you care, and you can't just act like you care. They they sniff that out immediately. And uh, it's a big family, honestly. Football football is about family. It is. It's uh, one group of people, you know, coming together to serve a common purpose, to accomplish a goal. And I, that's something I learned, in, you know, playing high school football and then, you know, in, in the Marine Corps. Uh, these guys, you know, you've got to care. It, it's not about the job. It, it is not about the money. Okay, it's about it's about those guys in your room, uh, and it, they got to understand it's family. You have it, it, it's so important, so important to have a family atmosphere, because you know when they they know that they've got a brother who's got their back, it motivates people in ways that you uh, it it's unbelievable. Well, coach, now kind of you know going over to scheme. I know know you mentioned that you guys are a uh, heavy zone team and and can do a lot, but you know kind of bread and butter zone. Um, and with that, I know you already said your your stingers are doing everything under the sun. But with mm-hmm. zone teams and a zone RPO team, I mean, you guys could be uh, sealing off the backside for the RPO. You can be locking on the backside inside linebacker uh, for an RPO. You could probably be. I'm mm-hmm. sure you guys have where you guys are out in the flat as a part of the RPO and, and so many different things. How do you get all of that taught to your stinger back? Because I, you know, you, you already said, other than, you know, the center, they're a part of so many different plays to me. I, we, we've been saying it for, for, you know, a year now behind the quarterback. It seems like to us, this new stinger back position, not that it's new, but this guy that goes everywhere, he's got to know minus the quarterback more than anybody. Because he's got to know formation, he's got to know all the shifts and motions, he's got to know all the pass, and then he's got to be able to do everything in his pass routes, and then he's got to know all the run and be able to uh, execute it and do the technique of it. And, you know, it's one guy, and you've maybe got 10 minutes of individual because then the receivers right. want you to go with them, and then the offensive line wants you to go with them, and then it's, oh, yeah. you know, and the inside. And so you've only got, you know, so little time. How do you break that up for those guys? Because there's so much for those stingers to need to learn. Right. So the first thing we, we, we really talk about is the operations of the offense. If, if they don't know how we're going to operate, how plays come in, you know, where to line up and for different formations, our base alignment. Uh, if they don't know that stuff, they, they don't know anything. The, uh, the second thing I go over, and this is very important for them to understand, is our point system. You know, we, we use the, the point ID system, you know, to identify, you know, who's, where's the mic, who's the plus one, who's the minus one, you know, because when we're running our, our, our zone scheme, if we're running, you know, mid zone, which we call stretch zone, you know, we're that back is stretching the B gap. We got, you know, zone on the front side. We're uh, getting a vertical cutoff on the back side. And then we got, you know, the center working up to the mic. Uh, we've got that minus one backer in the box. Now we've got to get to him. But we have to understand who that is so we can get to him. Then after we understand who we got to get to, how do we got to get there? All right. So after operations and then after, you know, the uh, X's and O's of, you know, who do we get? How do we get there? How do we know this is the minus one, coach? So after that, we learn about specific, you know, I, I start with run game. I always start with the run game. That's just, you know, my mentality. I think that, you know, we're more involved in the run game than the pass game, but that usually isn't the case. But I start with run. Uh, you know, I teach the read steps. I teach uh, all the techniques they need to know, you know, you got to find a way to fit, you know, different things into different days. Some days we'll be, you know, working more outside with their, the receivers. Like you said, they'll call us over an individual. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not territorial. If our receivers coach can, you know, teach something from a different view than I can, absolutely. It's only going to make us better just because there is so much stuff going in. Maybe he can simplify it a way that I can't. Or whenever we go work, you know, combos or uh, with the, the O-line, same deal. Coach Carlson's all awesome. So we we go with him. We'll work those combos. We'll work those, uh, you know, that inside drill. But, you know, me, I'm working the basic steps. You know, I'm, I'm kind of doing a quick walkthrough with my guys pre-practice. Then we're getting the warm-ups and we're going through our steps. 
We're going through our spot blocks. We're going through our cutoffs. We're going through, you know, our uh, um, slice. Yeah, we're going through our slices, you know, cutting off the backside from the opposite side. You know, we're, we're working, you know, what we do on power, how we got to get vertical, 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 and then, you know, pry it open. So we're working on the little things with me, but then we're working on uh, in the very fine-tuned things, very fine-tuned things, you know, with the receivers in the screen game or in the pass game. We're working on, uh, you know, the combos uh, with the, the O-line. So we, we kind of split it up at practice. I'll send, you know, I have, do have some true tight ends. I do have some fullbacks, and then I do have some guys who can do it all. Um, the guys who can do it all, you know, I'll, uh, I might keep with me an extra second or two, you know, just to go over some more stuff, you know, pre, pre-practice and in Indy. The other guys, you know, the more receiver-type guys, they're going to go, with, you know, work more screens, work more, uh, more routes. And then, you know, the true tight end hand-down guys are going to go, you know, work more combos. Um, so that's kind of how we, we, uh, we do things. And, you know, meetings, meeting wise, I mean, baby steps, you got to teach it like a, like a college course, you got 100, 200 and 300. Okay. So if you go, you know, all out 300 level classes with the guys, they're, they're going to come in and say, what are you talking about? So we really break it down, uh, in the military, we would call it Barney style. Uh, but here it's 100, 200, 300 level. So, 100 level is, you know, like I said, we got to know the ops. We got to know the point ID system. We got to know how we're getting there. All right. 200 is, hey, what happens if they move? What happens if movement? All right. Well, here's what we do. 300 is, okay, what happens if we check out of that? Or what happens if we get, you know, a, you know, a fire pressure? So there, there are different levels of the teaching that we have to go through. And eventually you can't teach it all at once. You got to have installs ready, and that's something I learned immediately. You know, my first spring here is you know you got to have those meetings ready. You got to be consistent. You know, there's so much going on in the world. You got to have the meeting room consistent. It has to be structured. And uh, they've caught on. They learned it. You know, they picked it up. We've learned it. Now we're just getting down to the techniques, getting those a little better. Coach, what are some of your favorite ways you know to to kind of throw some of those guys a bone? You know, as far as getting them involved in the pass game or, or getting them. A, you know, some touches and things like that. I think it's always interesting to, to hear, you know, tight ends, coaches, you know, stinger backs. How do you get those right. guys involved in the offense? Because sometimes it's, hey, you're just another glorified backer. Well, a lot of, way, a lot of ways, well, I don't have to cover that guy. How do you guys make him, you know, a really big weapon in your guys' offense? Right. So we do so much insert with our lock zone that uh, one of the ways we can, we can kind of get it is uh, we'll, we'll insert. We'll act like we're blocking that minus one backer. Pop right over top. Catch I love it. it. We, I love that. We play. scored. We scored on that uh, once. Um, it, it was a very important drive right before the half. Or uh, so that was. That's one way. Another way. We run a lot of wide zone. All right. We run a lot of wide wide uh, wide zone with a lead, and we'll insert on the front side and go get that plus one. Or uh, if there's movement, or if it's a, an odd front, we'll get that uh, that front side mic. Okay, so teams get used to that. They start flowing. Okay, what then? All right, well, we're going to take a shuffle. We're going to be right beside the quarterback almost. We're going to take a shuffle towards the play side like we're about to go uh, lead for the running back on wide zone. Then, you know, he'll stick his outside foot in the ground. We'll run dart. Okay, we're pulling the tackle all the way back through. We're blocking it man up front. We're just going to follow the tackle to promise land. We scored on that a couple times. So we – uh. We love getting our guys touches, and now we're just looking at a you know a half, uh, a half man half slide, where we're gonna we're gonna chip, we're gonna get out to the flat. You know we've got an athletic, very athletic quarterback this year. You know we can just pop it out there. He can he can escape some stuff, pop it out there to our guy, and we can just let him run. Coach, how do you how do you teach that insert for your stinger backs? It's something that we've gone to a shuffle with a lot of the things we're gonna do this year. We're gonna shuffle with them on outside zone and read you know, the end to the, to the three technique uh, or shade mm-hmm. and then work through it to the safety. Um, on, on our counter stuff, we're going to start trying to shuffle uh, for, to let him insert a little bit tighter. I would like to kind of tell him, you know, to shuffle a little bit on this lock, but I don't know the timing. Uh, but in the past, it's just kind of been run downhill and, and treat it like ISO. How are you teaching them right. on, on that uh, insert? So uh, 
with wide zone specifically, uh, when we're on the front side of the play, we're going to be in the backfield, you know, our base alignment changes with wide zone. Okay. We're going to back, we're normally, you know, about three and a half behind, uh, you know, B gap. We're going to tighten in. We're going to get uh, right on the quarterback's toes behind the guard. We need to get busy. And just like a running back has to be, you know, in step with that center, we've got to be, you know, right behind that guard and have a two-way go because what we're doing is we're going to check that defensive end. If there's any uh, play side flow whatsoever, our eyes now go to the guard's block. Guard has hat. We're going to strike the match and insert on the front side, you know, of the hole. We're going to insert right off the tackle's hip. We're going to strike that match on his hip, and we're going to go up to the plus one. We're going to block him outside in. Now, I've went away from saying shuffle just because, you know, we have to have that two-way go. But if one of our feet aren't in the ground because people think shuffle is a hop for some reason, then we're going to be a step behind. We're going to miss, miss our opportunity. So what I've went to saying is, you know, let's, let's do a read step, guys. You know, it's a step. That's all it is. It's just a lateral step. It's a read step. You're going to read this, okay? So we were saying shuffle last year, and I felt like, you know, that one's on me. I changed it up to saying just read step. Take a read step. You're going to take like two read steps and you're going to go. You got to make a decision. Just go and finish, 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 finish. He's on the ground or you're on the ground. So that that's kind of how we went to go on. And then we've got another technique, you know, let's say, you know, there is play side flow from the defensive end and then the guard loses his block. Now the three techniques got the hat. What we're going to do is called a search technique. On that second read step, we're going to plant our outside foot. We're heading backside through the line because a gap's going to be open now into the B gap. Mm-hmm. And we're going to take the most dangerous man. First man that comes to. So let's say the nose on the backside of the play, he beats the center and he beats that guard. Now he's coming straight for the runner. We're taking him. Okay. If that doesn't happen, that will linebacker, he's coming, he's flowing hard. We're going to take him. You know, if it's the safety that's coming straight down for whatever reason, we're going to take him. It's the most dangerous man at that point. So that's what we're doing, you know, wide zone wise. Um, we do it a little different on uh, our mid zone play. And our mid zone, um, like like it says, it's it's not wide zone and it's not tight zone. We're gonna stretch that B gap, and we're really just trying to cut the defense in half. Okay, so when we're in the, our twenty personnel formations, we're just we're trying to cut the defense in half. So we're getting, you know, a, a lateral vertical push on the front side in that zone scheme, trying to get that guy, you know, torqued out. And then on the backside, we got that vertical cutoff, and that, that, that cuts them right in half. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll line up on our base formation, so about three and a half feet. Uh, you know, we'll, depending on the front, let's say they're in a 4-2 over front. Okay, we know A-gap is open pre-snap. We look for the first gap backside of the nose because we're going to line up on the backside of this play. Okay, we're going to insert on the same side as the cutoff. First gap backside of the nose, and that works for, uh, that works for odd, too, for us. First gap backside of nose, we know we're going pre-snap. Unless there's movement and that gap closes, then we're going to, the opposite of search, we're going front side. We're going to find front side, you know, go through on the front side, maybe swab that hole if that, uh, that center needs some help. We're going to get up to the next level block, the most dangerous man. So what we'll do, we'll take a, uh, an angle, like an angle step down toward, you know, the gap that we're going to insert to. We're going to read it on that angle step. And then we're going. We're going to strike the match. Let's say it's an A-gap. We're going to strike the match off that center. We're going to insert and isolate that minus one backer. Okay, let's say they're in a 4-2 uh, under front. All right, we know B-gap is open pre-snap. What we're going to do is we're going to cheat our split. We're going to line up in B-gap. Not much to it now. All right, we're going to take an angle step into the guard near hip. All right, kind of downhill from that area. If that B-gap doesn't close, we're going through B-gap because that minus one backer, nine times out of ten we saw on film, they're reading us. All right, if we go play side, they're going to go play side. So what we're going to do is we're going to insert right in front of us. And if he's coming downhill at us, we're going to cut him. All right, if he's in an angle along, it's illegal, so we'll just block him. We're going to drive through that play side armpit. We're going to get our uh, helmet screws below his chin strap. We're just going to drive through. We're going to isolate him on the back side, cut the defense in half. Well, Coach, we're rolling up now here on an hour. Um, and, and before we cut you loose, because I know you're busy, but before we cut you loose, I always like to ask guys the same question. Uh, and it's when you're watching another team's offensive line, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? So uh, the, very, the very first thing, and uh, this might not be a shocker, is communication. All right. 
when I see on film that guys are confident enough to communicate and communicate effectively, if I see them pointing out, you know, the mics, if I see them, you know, talking to each other, pointing out adjustments, you know, making the checks up front. If I see that, I know they've been coached very well and they've been coached so well that they're confident in what they do. Okay. That, that's kind of one thing that I look at. A second thing that I look at, you know, is uh, strain. Obviously, strain. You've got to strain through that block. You've got to give, you know, relentless effort, relentless effort. If I see that, I know those guys have been coached hard, very hard, and they know that they've got to finish the block. Like I said, either they're on the ground or we are. Uh, the last thing, and this is something that, you know, it's really not talked about a lot. It's really underappreciated. The value of a second step. All right. The first, I'm not taking anything away from the first step because it's the most important step. But the second step, if I see a guy who has a great and quick, 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 quick second step, mm -hmm. it can make up for a bad first step and he's going to win that block. The second step, if I see that, I know those guys are coached up right. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.